So, for the benefit of the recording, my name is Guy, and we are preaching from Revelation this morning, and Revelation is a crazy book, um, but a wonderful book, and an important book. It was important to the early church, and I think it's really important to us too, which is why I'm excited to share this this morning. So, it was written in AD 90 by um, John, and the emperor at the time was Domitian, and he was nasty, he hated the church. Now they did things like tie people to wild horses and send them in opposite directions, ripping off limbs from Christians. They did things like covering them in tar and using them as human torches. And they did a whole bunch of other things which I can't even bear to to speak about because of the, 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 the evil and the torture. But they were torturing and persecuting people like you and me, people that, that sing about Jesus, that pray to Jesus, that love Jesus. Regular, ordinary people persecuted because of their faith. And of course we know this happens across the world today for those that declare a love for Jesus. But real people tortured for their faith. Now it's a simple historical fact that the more the church was persecuted, the stronger it got and the more it grew. We see this in places like Iran today and other nations. But the more it was persecuted, the more it grew. Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more the martyrs' blood was spilt, the bigger this thing became. And the Romans watched the Christians endure this pain and this suffering. And they watched them endure it with peace and sometimes even joy because of who they were suffering for, because of their conviction this is, this is 60 years on from Christ ascending to heaven. They would suffer with such peace and sometimes joy because of their conviction that Jesus wasn't just real, but he was all that he said he was. It's amazing that the more they persecuted, the more they declared their love for Jesus. So John gave the early church something to see them through this persecution. He gave them something to really see them through this, this, this trouble, this evil. He wrote down the, the dreams and the visions that he had, which is the book Revelation. And this, this book that really uh, saw people through just the most awful suffering. It sustained them and it equipped them. And my challenge for us today for me and for you is if it was good enough for them it's good enough for us I would say if it's good enough for them to to see them through the persecution and the hardship the suffering, the turmoil the devastation it's got to be good enough for us so Holy Spirit I pray that as I speak uh, from this strange and mystical book this morning I pray that you would Uh, speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we would feel our faith rising. Father, for for my brothers and sisters here that might be in a stormy place, I pray, Lord, that they would see light on the horizon. I pray, Father, that we would uh, just have that strong and, and amazing conviction of how good you are and how you are in control. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what was it that John gave his brothers and sisters? Well, he gave them a cosmic and exalted image of Christ Jesus. Can I have the first slide, please? (coughs) Revelation 1, 5 to 8 says, To him who loves us and has freed us 
from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then the next slide. This is uh, moving on a few verses from verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus consistently reveals himself as the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, the A to the Z, the first and the last. John is saying, if you see Jesus as your Alpha and your Omega, if you, if you see Jesus as your beginning and your end, your origin and your destination, if you can grasp the gravity of this truth, that he is the first and the last, then you can endure anything even unspeakable cruelty. No matter what, no matter what we go through, if Jesus is our Alpha and our Omega, our beginning and our end, we can get through. So my question to you is, how does this sit with you? How comfortably does that sit with you? How do you feel? How do you wrestle with that truth? So for centuries, the question that's been debated and is still debated in many, in many parts of even the church today is where does Jesus fit in the tri Trinity? Where does he fit? Is he, is he God's son, therefore a lesser part of the Trinity? Is he even God at all? And these verses are some of the most comprehensive verses that Jesus is God. Jesus is absolutely God. It says of Jesus that he is the first, the beginning, the alpha. He is beginningless, that he is uncreated, that he has always existed, that he is God, he is the origin. He is the first. By him and through him, everything was made. Jesus is creator God, he is alpha. That is the doctrine, that is the teaching that the Bible is explicit on. You might say to yourself, how does that apply to me? How does that affect me? All our thinking must start with Jesus. Because he is the beginning. We're not. 
Our natural inclination often is to start with ourselves, to look at our own pain or our own suffering, our own situation. But our thinking has to start with Jesus. You might say, I'm not interested in doctrine, I'm not interested in teaching, I need to tell you about my life and my suffering and my situation. I need some answers. What about me? What about my life? What about my situation? What about the cruelty or the unfairness that I'm experiencing? What about the pain or the injustice I'm going through? I would say you're in the right place amongst people that love Jesus. But in order to get to know yourself and understand your situation, you have to pull back from your situation. You have to not start with yourself, but consider Jesus. Now think for a minute about a TV screen. Think about watching a TV from this close, just an inch or two away. And that TV screen is made up of just hundreds and thousands of pixels, just dots of colour, that when you're close up make no sense at all, do they? You've got no understanding of context. You can't understand how one dot relates to another. They're just bits of colour. But as you pull back, that screen makes sense. The context of those pixels makes sense. We have to step back and see ourselves in the context of creation and the Alpha, the Creator. The Bible tells us that we will never understand ourselves until we know who God is. Because in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, me, or Esther, or Andrew, or Mandy, or any of us. But in the beginning, God. You might still insist, I don't need this doctrine, I don't need this teaching, I don't need this, this uh, theology. But I still challenge you and I say, what is your Alpha? Consider the question, what is your Alpha? I did an RE lesson in our local secondary school just a little while ago and, and it was on uh, wealth and poverty and I'd been given what to speak on and so we kind of rushed through the lesson and at the end we had a few minutes at the end and uh, I said, right, any questions, anything you like, you can ask me anything you want, dangerous question to year eights. And um, <clears throat> this girl that had been really engaged with the lesson put her hand up and she said, I couldn't ever be a pastor or a priest or whatever it is that you are because I don't believe in God. I was like, and I looked at the teacher and I said, how long have I got? And he said, two minutes. I was like, okay, <laughs> two minutes to answer the most profound question you could ever ask. And so I, I spoke to her about faith and I said, at the moment you are, you are using faith by sitting on that chair. You are trusting that that chair will support your weight. You haven't looked at it, you haven't tested it, you just sat down and you're just comfortable. I said, everybody has faith in something. Whether it is science, whether it is evolution, or whether it is a creator God. But one day, at one point, you're gonna to have to wrestle with that question. What is my alpha? What is my beginning? Where do I come from? I said, maybe in year eight, you haven't wrestled with those questions yet, but one day you will. What is your Alpha? Are we the product of a loving, personal creator or just random molecules and atoms colliding together that somehow stick and grow and just chance and accident? 
If we're just random atoms, we can make up our own rules. We can make up our own meaning, our own truth, our own morality. But if we are the result of a personal creator, then we have to consider who that creator is in order to understand who we are. I want to show a small clip now. You won't be able to see it very well because it's not great quality. But it's from the classic old program Cheers. Did anybody ever watch Cheers years back? I used to love Cheers. And this is from the final episode. And they're sitting around in the <coughs> excuse me, they're sitting around in the bar and they're just questioning about the meaning of life. Can we play the clip? One of my wife seems to lose my So what's the meaning of life and Fraser comes out with this amazing kind of understanding and Woody Harrelson just uh, they just laugh it off Christianity refuses to ignore the big meaty questions in life Christianity refuses to ignore the difficult questions Christianity refuses to just laugh it off but directly addresses purpose and meaning and origin and alpha unless you can settle on your alpha and your origin chemistry or creator never find yourself you'll never find yourself so what is your alpha so pull back zoom out see yourself in context consider your alpha the bible asserts that it is jesus he is our beginning we start with him and everything else makes sense so that's alpha and then Amiga, 
So he's not only the first, but he's the last. He created the universe. The universe is going towards him. Everything was made by him and it's made for him. History is heading towards Jesus. You fit, you're at ease when you are serving him, when you are orientating yourself towards him, when you're in the direction of Jesus, when you're pursuing him. Everything was made by him and for him. It's all about Jesus for his glory and for his service. He is the creator at the beginning and he is the judge at the end. The final word belongs to Jesus. All your problems will be resolved in and through Jesus. It's just astonishing teaching that he would reveal himself to John and say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's incredible that he would say, I am the beginning, I am the first and I am the last. If he was just the first, it would be one thing. But to be the first and to be the last, nobody else ever promised that. Nobody else ever said anything so, so outlandish, so, so huge. He is the creator and he is the judge. He will have the final word. All your problems will be resolved in and through him. Evil will be finished by him. That's the teaching of the Bible. That's the doctrine of the Bible. So the question at that point is, so how does that affect me? How does that impact me? <coughs> Timothy Keller says there are only two ways to approach God. Just two ways. Either he is the means and something else is the end, or he is the end and everything else is the means. Let me unpack that for a minute. An Omega is non-negotiable. An Omega is a thing that you have to have. I have to have this, whatever it is. I have to have X in order for life to be meaningful. I can't go on without having that. So what is your Omega? Many of us approach God, and I've done this at times myself, many of us approach God, not as our Omega, but as our means to get our Omega. Does that make sense? We approach God for what we can get from him. Thank you so much. Perhaps life is unravelling, it's falling apart. We approach God in the hope that he can give us something that we want, whatever that might be. We use Jesus as a means to an end. And we can't do that because he is the Omega. He is the destination. And we see this in the Bible with Moses. We see Moses was a, was a privileged man. He was raised by a, an Egyptian princess. He was educated. He was trained. He was blessed. And he decided he would, he would serve God by being a leader. That he would release his people out of slavery. He decided that he would, he would free his people from oppression. He saw this fight happening. He said to himself, I'm the man for the job. And he saw this fight happening between an Egyptian and an Israelite. And he stepped in and he killed the Egyptian. And he turned around to see the people behind him supporting him. And he didn't get the response he was looking for. They said, you idiot, why have you done that? You're going to bring trouble upon us. That isn't what we we're asking you to do. Who made you Lord over us? And he was in a very vulnerable position at that time. He had killed an Egyptian and he was despised by the Israelites. And so he did what I think many of us would do and he slunk off. And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness as the lowest of the low, as a shepherd. 40 years, just an anonymous life in the wilderness 
with the sheep. He thought he was serving God, but the truth is he wanted to be a leader. His amiga was leadership, and he used God as a means. Forty years later, God approaches him, or God, God sets the bush alight without it burning, and Moses approaches this bush, and then he calls Moses into leadership. And Moses eventually, after a number of excuses, says, okay, God, if you really want me to do this, if you really want me to lead your people out of captivity, I'll do it. I'm a bit of a failure. I haven't got a great track record, but if you insist, I'll do it. The real strength is in obeying God when you're weak. The real strength is obeying God when your, your track record, when your past experiences would suggest that you're not the man for the job or the woman for the job. A broken man is a much better leader than a proud man. When leadership was the amiga, when leadership was the destination, was leadership was the thing that Moses wanted more than anything, it, it failed, it, it broke, it fell apart. 40 years in the wilderness. But when God was the amiga, when God was the destination, when God was the point and the reason, and leadership was the means, Moses got both. How many times have we shaken our fist at God? I remember one time uh, having to go out to a meeting and England were playing on the TV. And I remember saying out loud to God, this is, this is a while ago now, but to my shame, I said out loud to God, things I sacrificed for you. And I felt God say to me immediately, don't talk to me about sacrifice. But seriously, how many times have we shaken our fist at God and said, you promised me you'd pull through. This isn't working out. I've worked my fingers to the bone for you. I've sacrificed things for you. I've lived a good life. I've asked for this and I've asked for this. And I've not got either of it. What's the point of being a Christian? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I wonder if that resonates for any of us here this morning. When we do that, what we're saying is that God is negotiable and what we want is non-negotiable. What we're saying is that God isn't our Omega in that. He's the means to get our Omega. Does that make sense? Jesus died for you and me. He's standing there and he's saying, serve me, not to get anything, but to get me, to receive me. And so often we're ready to give up on God because we haven't got what it is that we want. He's become the means. We're using God to fulfill our agenda. The Bible says, tell the truth. And we might say, well, I've told the truth and I've, I've, I've lost out. I've lost friends from telling the truth or I've paid a higher tax bill from telling the truth. I've tried to obey God and look what happens. Look at the state it's got me in. It hasn't helped me. We're using God in order to get something else. Something else is more important. There is freedom when we serve Jesus, when we love Jesus, not to receive anything but to receive him, to receive his goodness, his presence. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. There's a promise in that. Then all these things will be added unto you. But first of all, the kingdom. Make him your amiga.
I think Alpha is, especially if you've grown up in church, I think Alpha is, is comfortable. Alpha is familiar. Yeah, of course that makes more sense to me than evolution. Of course that makes more sense to me than a Big Bang or just chance. But Amiga, I think that's slightly more challenging. Is he my everything? Is he my destination? Is he my purpose? Is he where I'm heading? Or do I use him to get something else that I want? Perhaps love or financial security or a better business or friends or whatever it is, fill in the blank. <coughs> I'm nearly done. So if he's our first and he's our last, if he's our beginning and he's our end, let's consider for a minute the middle. Now plenty of people believe that we are an accident, that we are you know, evolution and, and all this. Our schools are teaching it and, and we're flowing strongly against the tide, aren't we? You know, secular culture will tell us uh, that science or that... Um, have you guys been watching Planets at all with Brian Cox? Amazing programme. But they say that the alpha point is meaningless because it's just accident. And that the omega point is meaningless because we just rot and become nothing. And yet they insist that the middle is somehow meaningful. That the beginning is meaningless. There was no personal creator. And the end is meaningless because again there's no personal creator that we go to. And yet the middle is meaningful. And I just think logically that doesn't work. That doesn't sit together. If the alpha is, is meaningless and the omega is meaningless, the middle surely has to be meaningless. It has to be. We come from nothing and go to nothing, then we're nothing in the middle too. We can't start talking about rights and wrongs because it makes no difference. We can't fight against oppression or racism or sexism or individual rights because it's meaningless. We're just making things up. We're putting random structures onto a senseless existence. If people believe that the beginning is meaningless and the end is meaningless, they have to have the guts to admit that the middle is also meaningless. And yet our faith, our faith would say there is meaning, there is purpose, there is reason to everything. Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. He is the Creator and He is the destination. And it's a game changer. An absolute game changer. The church was persecuted and yet thrived because of the truth that Jesus was exactly who He said He was. And these people, these dear brothers and sisters of ours that went before us in AD 90 that were being tortured beyond anything we could ever imagine were able to endure it with peace and sometimes even joy because they knew deep down in their guts, not just in their head but in their guts, in the bowel of their body that Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. Jesus reveals himself to John and he says, look at me. I am the Lord of glory. We read in the text earlier, John was undone. He was terrified. Jesus says, I am the Lord of glory. 
If you lose your job because of me and you're faithful, don't worry. I am with you. If you lose your life because of obedience to me, I am with you. I last. Everything else is temporary and meaningless.